Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, we're back here on the Chase Thomas podcast late on a Monday, where I am now joined by a first timer. Grayson Wire is here. Red Cup Rebellion forever. Grayson, good evening, sir. How are you? I'm doing really well. How are you? Not too bad. Not too bad, man. Um, it's funny. You are okay. So this is this is a big honor for you. Um, we didn't talk about this before we got started, but you are the first podcast guest now that I've had on here since getting my ears irrigated uh, yesterday. What is today? Yeah, yesterday. Um, I've been really sick, like bad sick all for the last week. So even I only was able to do a couple pods last week. It was rough. And then I I traveled to Asheville uh, this weekend, man, and I was miserable. Like the, oh, the sights were awesome and I, I was just dying and I could not, could not handle it. And we came back early on Sunday, had a sinus and ear infection, all that. So could have been way worse. Thought it was the flu. Not that. However, they looked at my ears and they were like, oh my God. And uh, they, they could not see my eardrums in either ear. So they were like, okay, we got to do an ear irrigation. And I had heard about it and that was something I was considering. And they did it. Have you ever gotten one of these before? No, but I'm Googling it right now and I didn't even know this was a thing. Oh, it's a thing. If you are someone like myself, it apparently runs in my family. My grandfather had to get this done routinely. Um, I learned that from my dad. And huh. it's the weirdest feeling. Yeah, like I've had some stuff and this is by far the weirdest medical related feeling I've ever had. They just blast hydrogen peroxide and water in your and it's so fast and it hits so hard. It sounds like it's just destroying your eardrum, but they just keep going until they loosen it up enough to pull it out. When I say like, I, I'm not trying to gross up the listeners, folks. I'm not trying to gross up the listeners, but I'm excited to talk about this and be back to feeling normal and not miserable after a week um, that like it was bonkers. So I sent it to people and they were all pretty grossed out, but it, it, it was amazing. So you are my first person where my hearing's better. Like yeah, I can I hear say, better. Can you hear better? Yes. My hearing is better. My ears feel better. Like having headphones on doesn't bother me as much as it was starting to bother me. Tinnitus has cut, started to slim down, but that is my whole thing, and uh, the it, I like I can I can feel the difference. My the the pep is back. I got some steroids in me. That's amazing. So I I don't know. I, it's a new man. Knock on wood. But uh, none of that is relevant to Ole Miss football unless well, Lane I mean, Kiffin it's, has. It's a, an honor <laughs> to be the first person that you can hear you know at full volume for the first time in however many years now. So I'll take that as as it will. I don't know how many years. Yeah, but it's been bad. He was just like, he was amazed. He was really grossed out by it. But it was just one of those, I could not believe what came out of my ears. Like that was one of those where you see it and you're just like, how was I hearing for, for years? Yeah, it was just, well, I, I thought I was losing my hearing anyway. Because my, my ears have been so sensitive over the last couple of years. And this year has been awful. Like they've just been extremely sensitive and easily like bothersome. And I've had several ear infections, but never gotten the irrigation. And it was life changing. I'm going to look to get that done every year. It's It hurt like hell getting it done yesterday but i will tell you the after effect oh my god it, it's, it's incredible right right i mean don't tell the sports renaissance woman that i'm hearing better because that could <laughs> that let's let's not do that but um outside of that uh thankfully she's not a sports girl so she's not gonna listen to this podcast who knows um grayson your old miss rebels they won double digit games this year that was a huge huge thing and they're going to a new year six bowl we'll talk about that in a second but I wanted to get your perspective as someone who's watched so many Ole Miss Rebels games of the years. You you went through the Houston Nut era. You went through uh, just uh, the Matt Luke era. You went through all these different eras. 
did the you ex- Go ahead. Sorry. Oh no! Did you expect double-digit victories coming into this year? Yes. Okay. Actually, yes. Um, I know that sounds surprising, and it sounds like I'm probably you know hindsighting it here. Um, but when I saw the schedule come out last year um, for this year, the way that it played out was pretty favorable. Um, I mean, obviously the Auburn game was disappointing. Uh, the Bama game was what it was. Um, but that team last year put on a show. Yes, we lost Elijah, Elijah Moore to the Jets and Kenny Yaboa actually also to the Jets um, and a couple offensive linemen. But for the most part, the talent was there. The offensive system was there. And we were just going to outscore our opponents as we did. Um, now, with that being said, had you told me, like you said, you know, the Matt Luke era was my big one. You know, I was I was. A little bit of an Ole Miss fan before I got to college, but once I actually decided I was going to Ole Miss, that was obviously my school. Um, and now I've been covering them, you know, on and off for the last five years now or so. Um, but I lived through that Matt Luke era, and it was tough. I mean, we had some of the greatest talents in recent years in history of Ole Miss football. I mean, AJ Brown, DK Metcalf, etc., on that team, and they still got obliterated pretty much every week. So if you had told me back in 2016, 2017 even, um, you know, Ole Miss was going to have their best season in school history, first time they've ever reached 11 wins, um, back in, God, 2015, 2016, I would have laughed in your face. And Mm -hmm. if you had told me that Lane Kiffin was going to be the head coach to do it, as an, as a USC fan growing up, I would have laughed in your face. So prior to last year, did I expect you know the season that we had? No. Um, I think I said eleven wins. I meant ten. But had you told asked me before this season, yeah, I was actually pretty confident that all of the games would go in our favor. I was obviously worried about Alabama. Auburn is kind of hit or miss with Ole Miss for whatever reason they have our number in recent years. But other than that, I mean. I felt pretty comfortable and pretty good about at least, you know, an eight win year, if not nine, if not 10. And that's what ended up happening. It's been, you know, a ton of fun. And hopefully that that fun continues uh, down in New Orleans on New Year's. Yeah. Well, what do you what are your expectations in the New Year's game? Did you think Corral was going to play? I did. Um, Just because he's a gamer. I mean, Mm. the guy the guy has proved to everybody, you know, that he can play. Um, but I think this is a chance for him, uh, if he goes in there and really just puts a beat down on Baylor, he hasn't had that quote unquote Heisman moment this year. I think there was a case to be made, um, that he should have been in New York as one of the finalists. I don't think he should have won it. Um, he's been dealing with injury on and off, whatever. Um, but this will be the healthiest he's been all season. Uh, he's coming into this game off of, what is it? Almost a month's rest, if not even more. Um, and he'll be healthy, ready to go. And he has a real chance to just show the world on a, you know, everybody's going to be watching that game and he has the chance to show everybody what he can do against a Baylor defense. That's really solid. Um, so my expectations are high admittedly, and that's not always a good feeling, especially as an Ole Miss fan. If, if anybody out there is listening as an Ole Miss fan, they understand what it's like to have a good feeling going into a game and then just getting, you know, your energy sucked out of you. Um, 
but I, I think I think there's a real opportunity to go in there and, and put a beat down on what is a very good Baylor team. Yeah, um, it depends if the if Baylor starts the backup who had that uh, Grayson Lambert completion percentage record that he had cooking in the the Big Twelve title game, or right. they go back to Bohannon who uh, lost a a brutal brutal one to to TCU and Chandler Morris because if they win that game and they don't just lay a gigantic egg, they're probably in the playoff. I think um, so. It, it's a big game, uh, Baylor and Ole Miss, and I think it's gonna be a lot of fun. I think it's gonna be fun to see Aranda uh, versus Kiffin, but we shall see. We still got a few more weeks before that. Um, in terms of corral, because like, uh, I'm a big UT guy, live in Knoxville, uh, in grad school, at UT and all that kind of stuff. But, sure. um, we'll talk about the, the, <laughs> the, the debacle in Knoxville, <laughs> uh, from a few weeks ago. Cause I want to get your perspective on this because I know Tennessee fans perspectives and I know, uh, the broadcast perspective and the national media perspective and all the different things there. And, um, uh, we, I, I might have a different take on that than some other people, but, um, in terms of Corral and what I've seen from him in watching a lot of Ole Miss this year too, is I, I've loved watching both of them uh, in terms of the two Mississippi quarterbacks, Will Rogers and Matt Corral, because they're completely different players, like completely different players. And they're interesting in very different ways. Um, but Corral is, he's just so much better this year than what I remember him being even just last year. And I wanted to get from someone who watched every single game, like what. What did Matt Corral get better to you that you saw this year that he was not doing last year that made him a Heisman, a realistic Heisman candidate because he was for most of this year? I think he just has better decision making. I mean, he last year played the way that he played this year, except for a couple of games. You know, he threw, God, I think he threw six picks against uh, Arkansas and five picks against LSU. So, you know, that you just can't do on a college level in 99% of situations that gets a kid benched, but the relationship that Kiffin and Corral have built as they had a really awesome feature on it on college game day, actually um, back when it was in the Grove a couple weeks back, but the relationship that they built together, I mean, they're both California guys who have kind of failed in their previous life, if you will, you know, Kiffin obviously has his track record of some people think it's failing up. I think it's just unfortunate circumstance um, everywhere he's been. And then Corral, I mean, the, I wouldn't committed. say the Tennessee uh, failure was uh, a circumstantial issue. Oh, uh, I don't I, even think that's a failure. He went in there and won you guys a bunch of games and then decided you, he had a better job. I wouldn't call that a failure. I, it's not a fail. I, I wouldn't say it's a failure, but I, would, I wouldn't say that was uh, a circuit. It was not a great circumstance to leave. Uh, th- th- there's a lot there. I, I can't. We, we won't go down that rabbit hole. There is a lot there. Okay. No, I'm with you. And I was, again, I was a USC fan growing up mm-hmm. as a kid. So I was, I was very prevalent to that situation. And I thought it was a weird move. But anyway, the two of them, I mean, have come in and really just gotten on the same page and, and corral working with a guy like Jeff Levy, who will be greatly missed moving forward now that he's off to Oklahoma. Yeah, we'll get to him too. Um, corral Kiffin and Levy just really sat down after last season. Um, after that Arkansas game where he threw six picks and just said, Hey, we can't do this anymore. You have unbelievable talent that we just need to, you know, hone in a couple of things, which the big one was his decision-making. You know, he's been able to eat the ball more. He's a gamer. This dude is, you know, in the situations where as a fan, I would prefer him to just like go down and slide. Um, he's lowering his shoulder and, and blowing through contact 
as opposed to last year where he might have sat in the pocket a little longer, waited too long, and then thrown a pick. Um, so I think that's the big thing between last year and this year is he just has a better head on his shoulders, a better understanding of the game. They spent an entire offseason, you know, as opposed to the the kind of the COVID issue offseason before the 2020 season. You know, they didn't really get that full system together. And then having that whole offseason this year, plus kind of last year was just a practice run. Um, Corral's head is just in a better place and he's really able to think about where the ball needs to go before it needs to get there. And that's not something he was doing last year. He was thinking about where the ball needed to go when it needed to get there, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Do you get like nervous every run though? Like he, for his size, I just, I am so amazed by him just staying healthy because he takes, he takes some shots. A lot of the RPO (laughs) stuff, like a lot of quarterbacks take shots now, but Man, he does not seem like a great slider and doesn't seem like a willing slider because that man is not afraid to lower his shoulder. And it just it it always baffles me based on his size. Yeah. And and that's, you know, a detriment to him. But it's also one of his best qualities. I mean, this guy, you say that you're shocked that he hasn't gotten injured. He's been playing hurt all year. He said something along the lines back either before or after the Auburn loss to that was something on the lines of. You know, I'm not injured. I'm just hurt. I can play hurt. I can't play injured. Something like Hmm. that. And he's not been at full health. I mean, we saw a couple times this year where he had to come out of the game and really like get reevaluated. And at one point, I mean, I don't know what they shot him up with during that Tennessee game when he went to the locker room and then came back and mustard. It might have been, yeah, been mustard. Um, but, I mean, he had 30 carries for almost 200 yards in that game. And so to answer your question, yes, I get extremely nervous every single time he passes the line of scrimmage. But he hasn't, you know, proved that I should be nervous because, yeah, he's got his ankle issue that's been bothering him all year. Yeah, he's been playing through, you know, a couple of rib things that may not even be out in public um, – knowledge you know he's continues to put on his pads he continues to sit there in the pocket take these hits and then pops right up it's unbelievable the dude is just a absolute gamer and 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 hats off to him yeah absolutely i'm gonna miss watching him play because he was he was a lot of fun um and i don't think luke altmeyer is gonna be the same kind of quarterback um so real quick on mm. that matt corral I have seen – I saw Eli I was as just a fan. Mm-hmm. I saw Chad Kelly as you know, a student and a fan, and I saw Matt Corral as student, fan, and you know, journalist, analyst, mm-hmm. broadcaster, whatever you want to call it. Um, and this is a very hot take Uh-oh. for many of the Ole Miss faithful. Some will agree with me. Matt Corral is the best quarterback to ever put on pads. I don't miss. Oh, wow. Um, I think Chad Kelly was the best statistical quarterback. If you look at the numbers, um, Chad Kelly's 2015 was our 20. Yeah. 2015 was unbelievable. Um, and he probably should have won the Heisman that year if he had stayed healthy and if Ole Miss had won more games, et cetera. Um, but Matt Corral, I mean, I think he, this season, at least let's, let's qualify it that way. This has been the best single season, um, quarterback play we've ever seen at Ole Miss in the history of Ole Miss isn't that crazy to consider because um I I just I agree with you and I think that's I I think there's 
it would be hard to make a case that Eli is had a season better than Chad Kelly's best season or Matt Corral's. And right. it's just kind of crazy to think about like he going him going number one and him just being the most notable Old Miss Rebel. But I don't think anyone, I don't think a lot of the national media or pe- folks who did not watch a bunch of Old Miss and heck, went through like you did with all those three different quarterbacks and just seeing them and actually seeing their particular seasons. Like I, I don't think they'll be viewed as the same. And obviously Kelly's uh, situation did not work out in the NFL and we'll see what happens with Corral. But like, I think the the odds of them reaching the heights of Eli Manning is probably slim to none. But part of that's name, recognition, other stuff. But like, it is kind of crazy to think about like Eli's the third best of the 21st century in terms of uh, Ole Miss quarterbacks. That's kind of wild. Yeah. And people will disagree, you know, with that. And they'll Eli homers until the day that they die. But if you really sit down and look at the tape, um, uh, the numbers too, you know, numbers for Chad Kelly, certainly. Um, but if you really look at the tape, I mean, Corral's been playing injured all year or hurt, as he says, and he has been just a better overall quarterback than Eli was. And that's and that's pretty astonishing to say, like you said, no love for Jordan Tayama, though. Well, I, I will always go to go to bat <laughs> for the flying Hawaiian. I, I hope that he gets the. Uh, well, I guess he's he's not because I guess it's Nick Mullins or whatever. He was supposed to start for Washington. Yeah. Was that tomorrow? I can't keep track with all the research. I think Washington's but, tomorrow. Um, but yeah, there's a chance he could start. And I'll always go to bat for the Flying Hawaiian. But he he wasn't as good as Swag or Matt Corral. I liked, he, was a, he was a battle hawk legend. People forget yeah, that. People forget. Um, do you think the defense will ever be good enough, like elite enough for this old miss group with kiffin and with the way they play offensively to get over the hump and get into the playoff i don't know Mm. um i think this answer comes twofold the the first part of that question is can the offense sustain the success that it had this year um and i think while the like initial reaction or hope would be yes this team is remarkable i mean you have three running backs who all could be starters pretty much anywhere in the sec. And our third guy is leading the sec in touchdowns, or at least was as of, you know, week 10 or whatever. And so that you've got the three headed monster in the backfield, the wide receiving core is okay. Um, it, it could have been better than it was, you know, Dontario Drummond and Jonathan Mingo both had injuries throughout the year. They, the receiving core could not stay healthy. And then this offensive line is sick. So do I think that the offense can keep up the numbers? Yes. Do I think that they can play as well as they did this year? Not necessarily, just because this year's team was really special. I think, you know, we're going to see this could end up being, if Ole Miss wins the Sugar Bowl, the best year in Ole Miss football history. It will be if they win, but I think that record could be sustained for a lot of years to come. And then when you look at the defensive side of the ball, I don't know. Um, because I love the scheme that DJ Durkin runs. I love like a three, three, five kind of more of just, Hey, let's have dudes that can play and go out there and really just ball out and fly around like banshees. Mm. But, and we're in Will Rogers experience in the, the egg bowl. Right. I mean, it just, it, it creates chaos and I mm. love that. But then when you put it up against a team like an Alabama and, and uh, you know, the running back factory that they have there, or even, you know, a Tennessee, Tennessee really gave 
Ole Miss a hard time. And it was that defense that won them that ball game. However, I would, I would, I would say other things won you that ball game, but continue. All right. All right. <laughs> However, <laughs> the defense really is, is just not able to sustain that high level against, you know, a hard, if you get, if you gave Ole Miss's defense against an Iowa, mm-hmm. I was just going to pound the rock against them for, you know, all four quarters and it won't, they won't be able to make this stop. So no, I, I don't, I don't really have that optimism that the defense will ever get to a college football playoff level. Um, Is that a problem? No, I would love, you know, to make the playoff who wouldn't. Right. Um, But I I think, I think if Ole Miss was to ever make the playoff, it it would not necessarily because the defense reaches that level. It would because be because the, I mean, this year, Look, look at this year, for example. The defense was really good for Ole Miss's standards. Certainly, mm. when you look at the last five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years, it was really good. Had that Auburn game been a win, even that Alabama game, they went for it on fourth down, really, like, on the first drive of the game on fourth and one, handed the ball to the scat back instead of just powering it up the gut with Snoop Connor. Yeah. And I think that game goes differently. So, so. If Ole Miss is to ever reach the playoff, it had to be a year like this year where, you know, the defense is good enough to let the offense cook. I don't think it will ever reach that Alabama level. Even that Baylor defense this year, you know, has been really great. That's Dave Aranda's thing. I don't know if it will ever be like that, but just having those athletes that can keep us in the ball game offensively is how Ole Miss would get to a playoff. And that should have happened this year. Um, but you know, Auburn, they just, we just, Ole Miss just wasn't healthy. And then Alabama's Alabama. So. Yeah. But to see the thing with Ole Miss though, that I like when I think about the sec, because like you have to adjust your expectations and I, I, I'm sure you deal with this with talking with Ole Miss, talking about Ole Miss <laughs> with your friends of just like, um, where they, they want playoff, 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 and just the playoff ex- like expectations now. And because we're going to expand and because of that stuff like that, and if it does expand, then it changes the conversation of how we Absolutely. view teams like the tier two sec teams. We view them differently. Um, but the expectation that has just been ruined by so many big time programs that just like the, everyone wants to be the next Clemson or Bama or whatever. And it's just, it clouds things and it, it it's just not how I view college football. And I don't think how most people should if you really want to get enjoyment out of the product because every single year over 120 something teams have no shot at winning a national title it's just not i it's a regular season sport and it will always be a regular season sport for me and i think that's just the best way to enjoy and watch college football however i do think Ole miss with the way they're constructed with the way they can recruit with the kind of offenses they can get in there and what we've seen in the past from their offenses that like I don't see why they couldn't be some sort of variation of Auburn where like you you're solid most years like you want like worst case scenario six and six seven and five you go bowling every year but then you have that one offensive special season with a Matt Corral type quarterback like you had this year and you you have a shot at getting into the playoff and really making some sort of magical run but you want that like you know once every eight seven nine whatever it is years but then you just want to be fun and good around that but i think that's realistic to expect like this team could have the kind of special season that gets us into the playoff like once every i don't know like i said like eight to nine whatever years kind of like what auburn does where they're not going to be the perennial alabama but they are going to be 
they'll just jump back into it with the Cam Newton or Nick Marshall, whoever they'll have the special season and then they'll bounce back and struggle for another seven years. I, I think that's possible. I completely agree. And especially, I mean, I was talking for 14 playoff. Mm-hmm. If we expand to eight or even 12, um, I think almost getting to a playoff is very realistic. I think it's a realistic possibility with a 14 playoff. Mm-hmm. I just don't think it's likely. Um, and I also just don't know if you can run the gauntlet. That's the other thing is like if you expand right. and that's the thing that people don't understand too is that like if you expand the gauntlet on like if you thought parity was bad before college ball expansion in the playoff like Cincinnati getting in now they have a much better shot of winning a national title with four than they do with 12 because they're not Absolutely. running through three different <laughs> three or four different uh, top 12 teams. It's not happening like they don't have the players. They don't have the blue chippers. They can't get through it. Nobody can get through that. Uh, that's when parity is gone. So that's something that I always push back with when you want to expand. I'm like you want to expand. That's great. But guess what? Alabama and Clemson and Ohio State and Georgia and whoever like they're winning every year. Like that's how yeah, that's they're working. Still they're still going to be in the final four. Right. Like it's just you're not running. It, more teams are getting in. And it's cool. They can raise the banner or whatever. Boston College made it 2027. They <laughs> they made a game and then they got they got blitz but like you're not running the gauntlet it's not like the nfl where you just get in you it, anything could happen no it's it's not the same thing whatsoever i completely agree with that and i i mean i i think you summed it up perfectly and i'm actually someone who's in favor of mm. an 18 playoff because i think it's ultimately inevitable um and i think you're going to 12 12 would be cool too um i i prefer eight just because you're right about the parody um but yeah, it, it, ultimately, you're right. It doesn't matter. I mean, these teams that are like the Cincinnati's aren't going to be able to rattle off, you know, two, three straight wins against teams like Alabama. I, I don't think that Cincinnati could, if they played the SEC West schedule, they'd have mm. five or six losses. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's, and you got Oklahoma and Texas coming in there. And I just, I don't know. Like it's, it, and I just, I feel bad because like, then you have to like, then people are just going to pile on a little blah, blah. It's like, it's amazing that Cincinnati's here. It's amazing that they're doing what they're doing. Yeah. Like, that's a great thing. And you, you don't appreciate those things because everything goes back to whatever. And it's like if Coastal with their season and they get in BYU, Kalani Sataki's built an insane program at BYU. They're the Pac-12 South champs. They're just like, they're doing everything. Kalani Sataki is an amazing coach who's done great work at BYU and they can't win a national title. They can't run the gauntlet with this group. But they can they win? UAB. A- yeah, they lost UAB. There you go. So it's like that's the whole thing. Is just they were awesome this year, and they lost their number two overall pick in the draft this past year. And he didn't miss a beat. Like they mm-hmm. just won double digit games again. But and they played. They're an independent. So they play a difficult schedule. Um, all that being said, the broader point is just they can't. But I do think Ole Miss is in a different zone. But I do wonder. Like when you go through the recruiting rankings, were Ole Miss fans freaking out about uh, how early signing day ended up? I had a feeling this was going to be asked. Mm. That answer is, well, we're Ole Miss. It depends on how you define an Ole Miss fan. Mm. Um, there are kind of two sections of Ole Miss fandom. Mm. Um where one of them was, yes, extremely upset. What do you mean? We have Lane Kiffin. We're paying him you know, $80 million to get us the number 25 recruiting class. And then you have the, <laughs> the kind of more reasonable, level-headed group that, that isn't driving Lane Kiffin out of Oxford. Because if Lane Kiffin leaves, if and when Lane Kiffin leaves, it's going to be because he can't deal with the boosters and the the old heads who think that just because they give the program, you know, a couple grand a year, they have full access to everything. 
Um, those are the fans that were freaking out about the 25th ranking. As for myself, I was pretty confident with it because we landed things that we needed. You know, the linebacker, four-star linebacker, Jaron Willis, um, was, if I'm not mistaken, the highest-ranked linebacker that Ole Miss has recruited since 2017. Mm. And he's a four-star, right? So Lane Kiffin saw our issues, defensive line, linebacker, got a, got a four-star defensive line, kept him in state, which is not something he even really did. He didn't even really recruit the state. A couple big offensive tackles, a couple big interior linemen, and some wide receivers. So he filled the needs on a smaller scale with guys that he know can play. So he said something along the lines after that day, you know, we were picky, high standards, and I believe he said didn't reach. So Lane knows what he's doing. Would would he have liked to have had a better day? Would the Ole Miss fan base would have preferred, you know, to finish top 20? Sure. Absolutely. Who wouldn't? However, he landed the guys that he needed to get flipped a kid from Miami last minute on top of that college football's now there's a free agency element to it. Yeah. So having a small recruiting class was not a translation or representation of who they signed, but more so how many they signed signing 16 kids at a recruiting class. Now, mind you, I think there will be three or four more that come in before whatever that is, February 13th or 7th or whatever the actual national signing day is. Um, but signing 16 kids for a recruiting class, 17, 18 kids for a recruiting class is small. And that's okay because Lane knows that there are guys in the transfer portal now and guys that will continue to enter the transfer portal between now and and August 31st when week zero kicks off from Hawaii versus Cal or whatever the hell it is in Australia, um, that will enter the transfer portal that are, are valuable right away, experienced, and and in some ways, and this is going to come out kind of weirder than I mean it to, but I'm going to say it anyway, their bodies are ready. Like Ole Miss recruited this demon clowny, the son of Jadavion Cl- or cousin of Jadavion Clowney. Mm. Last year or the year before, and he was a four-star defensive end prospect who's going to be really good. But he was skinny, undersized, and needed a year or two in the weight room and in a college environment to get ready to where he will be the starting defensive end next year after two years of the program. And so in a lot of ways, Lane knows that, okay, I'm going to go sit back, wait, get the guys that I know fill my spot, fill my depth that that the the lack of depth and then when i need a big time defensive interior lineman is kind of the big goal in the transfer portal he can go get one a quarterback is another thing somebody needs to replace matt corral it was we thought at first it was going to be dylan gabriel he's now to ucla once jeff levy left there's a couple other guys out there i mean bo Nix claimed that he and lane were texting back and forth earlier this week I don't know if there's any truth to that, Mm. but there was a quarterback 
need because I was going to say he Mars, made sense at Ole Miss. I threw out like I predicted uh, on the pod a couple weeks ago. I was like Oregon makes the most sense for him with Dan Landing and everything. Like I, the tapes are there, folks. So there, I was just like I don't know. Oregon just feels right. Like they really they punt. Like Oregon was just so stupid this year. Like Oregon was objectively dumb. Like to go in with Anthony Brown and Ty Thompson, true freshman, like. You had a team, a, a roster that could be in the playoff and could maybe win a playoff game. And you just rolled the dice on Anthony Brown and a true freshman and quarterback when the transfer portal's right there. They should not have, that, that should not have been the situation that they, they were in um, with that group. And I think they remedied it really quickly and nicely with Bo Nix. I mean, depending on what you feel about Bo Nix, I, I don't know how you could not be more, uh, more into the idea of a year two Thompson as your fail safe key, um, who is a big time quarterback prospect himself with Bo Nix getting the first stab at it. I think that's a much healthier quarterback room, but I also uh, think they learn from their mistakes uh, from the yeah. previous year a little bit. Well, and Nix is going back to be with Kenny Dillingham yeah. and, and they had the best, that was his best season was his mm-hmm. rookie year or freshman year. And so Nix could have been interesting in Ole Miss. Dylan Gabriel was the really the big name that everyone was expecting. Hmm. Um, but then when Levy left, that was a thing. So, so to kind of bring it all back together, you know, the recruiting class was not necessarily disappointing, um, but patient and the Ole Miss fan base, a lot of them are not patient people. They want to see success. They don't understand how we're not in the playoff every year. They don't understand that Ole Miss is still Ole Miss. You know, it's not Alabama. It's not Clemson. It's not Georgia. You know, Ole Miss is still Ole Miss. And while, yes, it's, you know, the best game day in the SEC and all this stuff, that's all great. Best game day in the SEC? Oh. Are we just going to let that one out there? What? Can oh. you work on getting a mascot full-time? Or where's the shark at? Where's the bear? Can you figure oh, that out no, before you no. do all this? I'm talking about the tailgate. <laughs> I'm talking about the tailgate. I don't need a mascot. Just get me guys on the field. Can we Rather- find out what happened to the bear? What happened to the shark? Are they gone forever? We don't know about the shark. The bear is gone forever. Okay. Um, the shark is being moved to a off-field role. <laughs> Whatever the hell that means. I don't know, but it's funny. I mean, I, I think the shark is freaky looking, but as mm. long as the kids love it, I don't care about a mascot. Um, but I don't know. I mean, the recruiting class is what it is. I think there's two or three guys that are still going to come in before February. And then the transfer portal is going to be huge. I, I'm I as a fan am hopeful that a quarterback comes through that isn't already out there. I think Casey Thompson would be super interesting, but I don't think there's any chance of that happening. Hmm. I'm just throwing it out there. Uh, I saw TCU for him. Yeah. Yeah. I think he's staying in Texas and he, I mean, I don't think Lane has even considered the idea, but I thought Casey Thompson would be interesting, but the real one that's, that's potentially coming to fruition is uh, Cam Ward at an incarnate ward. Hmm. Um, He, I don't know if you're f- super familiar with Cam Ward, but he was a high school guy that ran the triple option in high school. So there was literally zero tape on him and incarnate Ward gave him a shot on the FCS level. And he just balled out this last year, brought incarnate Ward, I think to the quarterfinals of the FCS playoffs. Um, he's just basically one of those guys that like when I turn on NCAA 14 and run around with whatever quarterback, it is, he's an NCAA 14 creative player. Um, and I think he could be a lot of fun. We almost offered him about a week, maybe two weeks ago now, uh, but he wants to be guaranteed, uh, the starting job. But and can you Lane, do that with Altmaier? 
that's what Lane isn't willing to do that. Yeah, exactly. So that's why he hasn't committed yet. But I think if Ole Miss is ready to really just pull the trigger, he's the guy. Um, but these poor coaches, said, man, I, I just the transfer stuff and how they juggle all this. I, I don't know if you talk to a lot of high school coaches and stuff like this and the coaches I've talked to, it's just none of them are enjoying any of this. I, the tightrope that you have to walk on now, and I'm all for player empowerment and everything like that, but there is a cost and there is I, a lot of sleepless nights and I don't, I don't know how they do this job. Like I have no interest in any of these jobs. Like I could not imagine what uh, what they're having to deal with on this front. Because like that's a reality. It's like you want me to come here. Guess what? I can play anywhere immediately. Guarantee yep. me the job. And it's like, well, I already have this guy. Like, why don't you just want to beat him out? It's like I gotta kind of walk this road because I want them both in here. So how do I do this without burning one of them and then getting that reputation? And then suddenly all my recruiting is down the drain because they everybody talks and they're like, remember that time he promised this and that. It, Dude, it is. I, I just, I have no interest. I don't know how they do it. I don't. It's, it's chaos. And I mean, if you look at it, the transfer portal has essentially lim- eliminated the idea of a backup quarterback. Mm-hmm. And it's crazy. And it's crazy. And some of these guys, stuff that these coaches have to do. I mean, if you look at the lane thing that went viral a couple weeks ago where he was with his Porsche. Yeah. Like, yeah, it was really awesome. Like, it was fun. You know, we all had a great time laughing about it. Some people had their jokes, whatever, fine. You can hate all you want, but he landed those kids. Right. Or he's going to land those kids, so joke's on you. But if I'm like, if I don't want to be driving a kid around in my freaking Porsche. <laughs> like, But that's what I, you have to do now. It sucks. It's such a brutal gig where, like, I just, I, I'm with you. I couldn't do it. I don't want to be driving a sophomore in college or rising sophomore in college, the, I'm speaking about Deion Smith in particular, yeah. the LSU wide receiver, enters the transfer portal, and then now Lane's driving him around in his Porsche. Like, I don't want to do that. Right. I just want to be like, hey, man, we have a spot for you. Come play for us. Yep. Which is how it used to be. And now it's just chaos. But we're so, like, pro player that we just, like, overlook. And I'm like, I don't want to defend the coaches either. But, like... This objectively sucks. Like yeah. talk to any co- talk to any high school coach about how any of this works. And the kids who are getting screwed right now for the transfer portal, like the high school kids, like that's happening everywhere. And they're oh, having yeah. to have these difficult conversations where they're like, "Hey, they would want you in a normal circumstance. If this is a couple of years ago, we they could they would just take you, but because they want to keep their options open with the portal, they're not going to take you." Like that like that those are really really uncomfortable conversations to be having with your kids. And that's, that's a thing. That's a real thing in the South for sure. Where most of the four and five star kids, like that's, that's a problem. It's happened with Ole Miss's recruiting class. We were just talking about it. I mean, the fact that we're 25th in the country with 16 guys signed on a signing day is because they kept those options open. So as opposed to those low end, you know, 23, 24 scholarship that they typically would offer to, you know, the in-state kid who maybe could fill out the depth chart, maybe has some potential to get some snaps as like a senior. That guy's not getting that offer that anymore. And it sucks. But at the same time, I mean, it's it's just a it's a Pandora's box because yep. you I want these players to have the freedom and the flexibility that they have. But then in turn it makes the head coach's job really hard and the recruiting staff's job really hard. Yep. And then you have the people being like, oh, these head coaches are – I mean, there was a teacher at Ole Miss that was all up in arms when they announced Ole Miss's, uh, you know, contract extension with Lane. Mm-hmm. And she was all upset. You know, I'm getting paid whatever times less than this old guy who doesn't even teach a class. It's like, yeah, well, first of all, like look at how much money Lane is bringing into school. Look at how much money you're yep. bringing into school. But second of all – you have to pay these guys these absurd salaries these days because otherwise the job just isn't worth it. Mm. It's nuts. 
I mean, the assistant pools, like coaches will just leave now because they, they just want to see how much money you'll allocate to the assistants. Yeah. Like, that's it. Like, <laughs> you can't pay it. Okay, well, great. Like, then we're not coming. Like, I Somebody want. Somebody else can. Yeah. Like, that's, that's just the, that's just the nature of the beast. Um, what will be the impact of losing Jeff Levy? Do you think there, it's going to be a distinct change next year with the way we, we look at Ole Miss and this will be a, a bigger loss than most college football fans are expecting from, from, from the Rebels? Um, potentially. So I, I think Levy leaving is going to have a huge impact. Um, whether it is a drop off is to be determined. But for example, some of the names that I've been hearing, you know, Graham Harrell, team Martin, there's a couple guys out there. Nobody really knows because Lane doesn't mind waiting. He's like, why, why would I rush? We've got Levy through the sugar bowl, you know, recruiting, is basically over after that. You know, they're not going to hire an offensive coordinator to come in and recruit for 11 days. There's no need um, or whatever it is, you know, after Levy officially leaves. So he's patient and he's waiting. So there's no real telling who it's going to be. But if it's a guy like T. Martin, I don't know how you can take the play sheet from Levy, hand it over to a guy like T. Martin. As a fan, as somebody who has watched the program, I don't want T. T. Martin calling plays. T. Martin coming in, fantastic recruiter, you know, incredible job with the X's and O's behind the scenes. But when you put a play sheet in front of him, eh, not great. So the impact that Levy leaving is going to have is bigger in a sense that Lane Kiffin might have to be more involved than he is today. As of right now, he is the head coach. He is calling the you know fourth down decisions. He's making the decisions on fourth down. He's he's the head coach. He's not handling. He's a CEO, right? That's a, the best way of putting it. He's the CEO. So if if a guy like Levy leaves, where he is handling the offense, he's in the huddle. He's calling the huddles. He's you know talking to his team during halftime. Lane's not involved with any of that, and that's great because that's where Lane has found the most success. But if a guy like T. Martin comes in, Lane has to pick up the play sheet again, at least to some extent. And then that pulls him away from other position groups. And it just makes things interesting from a standpoint of, you know, how does the distribution between offensive coordinator and head coach look um, as to where Levy, you know, Levy's offense is Levy's offense. Lane is the guy who can help, you know, craft that offense, but he's not. And so I think that'll be the biggest difference. But in terms of drop-off, if there is one, um, which I think there probably will be uh, next season, I don't think 10 wins is necessarily going to happen back-to-back. But that drop-off is not going to be because of the offensive coordinator as much as it is really the guy at quarterback is going to be the big thing. Um, But then on top of that, it's just a combination of factors. So Levy leaving won't be like detrimental, but it definitely hurts. I mean, it definitely hurts. Um, the next quarterback, though, if you had to guess, let's just do it right now. It is December 20th, 2021. Who is under center, gets the first snap for Ole Miss in uh, game one next year? I hope I'm wrong. But as of today, as of today, I would say it's Luke Altmaier. Okay. Um, I hope I'm wrong because I think Altmaier is good. I don't think he's great. Um, I think he could be, you know, I hope he proves me wrong. I hope I'm 
incorrect about all of this. I hope the kid comes out there and shows out for the state of Mississippi, chose to stay home, you know, didn't leave Florida State, chose to stay in state, play for Lane Kiffin, play for Ole Miss, and just balls out. That would be awesome. Also from Starkville, right? Like he turned down the, the home area in Starkville. Right. And so that would be great if he comes in and steps into the system and plays his heart out and becomes, you know, one of these guys that we're throwing in the conversation with Eli Swag and Matt Corral and even the final line, Jordan Tamu. Like if he can do what Jordan Tamu did, great. I'm totally cool with that. And I think he could, but I don't think it's necessarily um, the best option out there, especially considering who was in the transfer portal. Losing Dylan Gabriel, there are a lot of conflicting opinions there. I thought that was a huge bummer. I thought he would have stepped right into Lane's system and done you know, pretty awesome things like he did at UCF when he led the FC, FBS in passing. That was a bummer. Spencer Rattler was probably never going to happen, and obviously he's very controversial. But we saw what he did at Oklahoma before – Lincoln Riley benched him, you know, this year. We saw what he did last year when he won the freaking Sugar Bowl. I'm not doing this with Cincinnati. Rather. We're not doing this with South Carolina fans. The 10 and 2, are they a dark horse? I'm seeing that already for the SEC. Uh, I, I'm not I, doing any of this. I like, we own so. South Carolina. Kentucky's better than South Carolina. We're all out recruiting South Carolina. Mizzou is out recruiting South Carolina. They're going to continue to be better. Like, you go top to bottom. Like, they, you finally beat Florida. Cool. Great. Grand, wonderful. Yeah, like you're not anywhere close. Not anywhere I, close. I Tennessee's agree. beating South Carolina next year. Let's just go ahead and end that one. Like beating the crap out of South Carolina next year. I agree. It, no, this I, is I'll ridiculous. I can't do the too. South Carolina stuff. Are they turning the tide because they signed a tight end and Spencer Rattler who had an off uh, whatever that uh, that grinds my gears. <laughs> I think I think they're going to build. I think they're going to yeah. get back to somewhat relevant, but not next year. But they're still just, I I don't like, Napier might, like, they're back. Like, Florida is going to be back sooner rather than later with that group. Like, I just, I don't see the upside. Like, South Carolina is just, if they break through, it's an unbelievable situation because it hasn't happened most of the time over both of our lifetimes. Like, it just hasn't happened. Spurrier was the best example of that. And that didn't last very long. And he had one maybe two magical seasons, if you want to call him that. Like, Steven Garcia did a lot of fun stuff. But, like, outside (laughs) of that, guess what? It wasn't great. Wasn't great. And even Kiffin, when he was at UT, he beat Steven Garcia that year. Yeah, so it's just, I, I don't know. The South Carolina stuff, I, I don't buy it all. I don't, I'm I sorry, agree. South Carolina listeners. I just, I don't buy it. I think it's smoke. But, but with that being said, I, I, I think, and this, this is going to sound weird, but as somebody who writes beyond just the SEC and beyond Ole Miss, I have watched a ton of Spencer Rattler. I have, and I think he would have been a lot of fun at Ole Miss for a year. Um, so that was a bummer to miss out on him, but I don't know. We'll see. All might be good. He might be. He might. We'll see. That's that's the key word. Might. I think Rattler would have been good. I think Gabriel would have been good. I think even Cam Ward is more fun to think about than Luke Altmaier. I hope I'm wrong. Well, let me tell you about the fun to think about quarterbacks. I just went through two games of Joe Milton and you saw how the Joe Milton experience <laughs> ended against Old Miss. Like, let me just tell you about the theoretical quarterback who has all the physical gifts. Like it's, it's not all it's cracked up to be, man. It, That's fair. Sometimes you'll get a Hendon Hooker who was an afterthought, came in for Jeremy Pruitt and then gets in there and it's just the, like no one was looking at Hendon Hooker. Now we need him back because he was a top 10 quarterback in the country this year. He's so good. He's great. And he's a great dude to root for. And his story's awesome. And he's a delight. And it was just, he turned Tennessee season around by himself. 
And like, but he was unexpected. He wasn't even a Josh Heupel guy. So it's just, it's a crapshoot, man. You have no, like, we have no idea how any of these are going to work out. Oh, I know. Which is why I'm hopeful that, you know, Altmaier figures it out. And I hope he steps in the system. I just don't think he has the intangibles of a Matt Corral or even a Chad Kelly. I mean, Chad Kelly was the most quote unquote intangible guy I've ever seen play in my entire life. That dude just won games and did so in incredible fashion. So we'll see. But yeah. if, if you ask me today, December 20th, I think it'll be all by our under center next year. Okay. There you go. Well, do you have anything you would like to plug uh, as we wrap up here tonight? Yeah, just I'm on Twitter at GSUNJW. I think that's my funniest platform. Um, and then you can find me on BroBible.com. Uh, I write everything and anything college football on there. And, you know, I'd love to have you guys on board. This has been a lot of fun. I know I know it's longer than you expected, and I don't even know if we really even talked all, my, all that much Ole Miss football. But I, no, we I, talked I all love, kinds of stuff. And then I you, love hopping on with stuff like this and just shooting the shit. So. Yeah, absolutely. And this is what it is, free-flowing, man. And we have, the, we have the plan, and we'll see what happens. But I would rather it just be more fluid and not stick to, stick to the script. And I'm just glad that you were the better man and uh, admitted that uh, Ole Miss had no business winning that game against Tennessee. That was. Uh, I don't know if I said that. <laughs> I, I don't know. I think we're going to have to check the tape on that one. Uh, what a game. I, I knew not going to that game was a great decision. That was the only home game I didn't go to this year. And I was just like, I'm, I'm not going to it. Like once it was just like uh, described by like Hypo was encouraging it to be a uh, not chaotic atmosphere, but it was something like that. I was like Kiffin hyping it up. I'm like, this is going to be bad. And I was telling folks, I'm like, it's going to be bad. I don't think a night game for this is a terrible idea. This is all very stupid and uh, it's going to be bad. But then um, it turned out to be bad and Joe Milton ran out of bounds. Um, but that's it. That's a story for another day. Uh, Grayson, thank you so much for the time. I greatly appreciate it. And uh, we'll have to check back in again soon. Yeah, you know where to find me. I'm always down to hop on. I appreciate you, Chase. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.